This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Some of the discussions featured on this show are technical, while others are higher level. First of all, I want to shout out for honorary sponsor Josh Stern, data scientist, data experience developer, and web developer. Josh has been helping me with a project recently. He's punctual, flexible, and able to effectively interpret my vague design ideas. It's been a pleasure working with Josh. Anyone who's looking for those services should check out his site, joshstern.info. Alex van der Sander is the lead designer for the Ethereum Foundation and EthDev. Originally working on the Mist browser, more recently Alex has been focused on developing the Ethereum wallet. The exercise tutorials he published on the Ethereum blog were a blast to work through, and examining them makes up much of the content of this episode. So how you been anyway? It's taken so long to kind of get this uh, organized. It's great to actually have touched base with you finally. Would you mind introducing yourself for the audience and explaining what you do at the Ethereum Foundation? Okay, so hi Arthur. I'm I'm Alex van der Sande. I'm the designer for the Ethereum. I'm lead designer for the Ethereum Foundation and FDev, which is the development arm of the Ethereum Foundation. And uh, so, what does your role over there entail? So I I deal with everything that has to do with the final interface between what we are building and the final user, which translates to to a lot of things. I help I, ha- I help in many areas, but the, the things are... So I, I help on communication and I help on presentations, but my main projects are MIST, which is the, the Ethereum browser that is under me, and I also take care of the main Ethereum.org, which is the Frontier website, um, which will soon become the Homestead website. Awesome. Hey, uh, just while we're here, how far off is Homestead? Oh, it's, it's very near. I, I would say that in less, probably less than a month. Uh, it, it really depends on some, some other, some other other things it will depend ultimately on Vitalik and Jeff bringing the hammer down. But the the testing testing of testing of Homestead has our our advanced. We are on an advanced stage of testing it, um, and as far as my my end goal and my 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 side goes, the, the site is pretty much almost ready. So. I am just making sure the site is ready from whenever Vitalik and Jeff decides that Homestead is on, then Homestead is on. You know, Homestead is a sort of an arbitrary arbitrary milestone, and there are a lot of internal changes that will happen, but I honestly feel that one of the biggest changes will be that you will just change the website to remove... Uh, currently on the site, there is like a... a uh, uh, illustration thing a safe decentralized network and the safe is striked out and I've, I've seen many people come to me and ask if that if the site was hacked or, or what, what, what was the deal with the safe striked out which was just a small joke on the point that the network's not 
it's not supposed to be safe right now. And I think for a lot of people, just taking that little image out of the website will mean a lot, <laughs> a lot more than most of the real hardcore changes that are going under under on the clients. But that that's mate, that's pretty significant. I mean, you know, when I think of the Google beta, you know, we've we've come to understand, you know, that idea of perpetual beta. But crossing out the safe is something that actually has a bit more significance than um, just insisting that something is still in development. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we, we did that on purpose because we wanted to, to give out the idea that, look, this is not ready. This is not, as I, we, we do not guarantee that this, this thing that we just built will, will actually work. And we, we told that to the exchanges and there, when, when the Ethereum network launched, we had a waiting period for something like three hours before any confirmation could be, could be, could be really trusted. And all those things, all that really changed was that it's just the communication. We are just now, now we'll be telling people, look, it's, it's better now. The network is safer now. And there's this big link where there's a, this wallet that you can download and use this and you'll be okay. Cool. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's actually kind of more for my, uh, my, personal, um, my personal interest than probably our, uh, our scope and purpose of this interview. But um, for the listeners, this will be going like being published uh, exactly a week from today. So... That you know, so maybe so roughly three weeks from when the published date of this interview should be about when we should expect to see uh, Homestead emerge. I guess you know, coming from this conversation, um, yeah, in an unofficial uh, don't don't take dates from me. I I I just I just have the internal feeling that it's quite quite advanced, but I'm not I'm not I'm not in a position of promising deadlines and dates to anyone no of course not um cool well um could you tell us about the wallet yeah i've been playing with it and it's so it's amazing it's really it's the best wallet i've ever seen um <laughs> thank you so yeah yeah well it really is it's incredible to play with um i've got a nice could not compile source code error oh i could not connect to node on ipc that's interesting oh, that's i'm not uh no, it's because I, I'm. I've. Uh, it's because I went outside of my Wi-Fi, I guess. <laughs> so, ha have you played with the tutorials that I published on the on the blog? Well, I have. I mean, I'm a bit embarrassed to say that I. Uh, I was didn't actually get the the client synced because I've been on holiday just and I used up all my mobile mobile data trying to do it, and then um, it wasn't until this morning that I found someone's house who I could burden myself on and. Um, and I set, um, I set the voting time in the second tutorial for a hundred minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did that and then I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do the, um, do the third tutorial until that timed out and it <laughs> is still yet to time out. Yeah. Tip when you're testing things, just put everything like three minutes, five minutes. <laughs> so yeah, the purpose, thanks. the purpose of those tutorials are, are really because, uh, we, when we are building a wallet, we, we really wanted to have something where we show what Ethereum is about. And we really didn't want to be just a, a, 
a wallet where where you can just save your eater here um, and store your eater here because to be honest it's not that's not that's not the best wallet for to do to that to that in, in this minute we we don't have support for paper wallets right now we don't have support for hd wallets right now we don't have uh, backing up the wallet still a lot, a lot of work so it's not even the the best wallet for your crypto nerd but our point of the wallet is that we wanted to showcase people the power of the network and how is that different from Bitcoin. So I really wanted to build a wallet where first, of course, you can keep your Ether here and then you can keep any token that you, you want on the same account. And then I want, once you start doing that, I want you to be able to create your own token. And when, once you do that, I want you to be able to use that token to do something like voting. And then when you already have voting down, maybe you can do something else where you can plug, plug into other contracts and do crowd sales and, and, and control another contract or control another DAO or do all the fun things that you, we, we are always telling people that you should be able to do with Ethereum. So that's, that's a little bit the purpose of the wallet. We really wanted it to be a showcase of everything that Ethereum is, but in a, in a tiny little nutshell that you can, can just show around people and understand and play with it. So that's, that's really the purpose. And I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're having fun with it because we really wanted people to have fun with it. It, well, it is fun because I, I spoke with, uh, with Christian a while ago and he was talking about the ability for uh, the Solidity compiler to compile the code in real time. And that, it just, it's really cool to watch it happen like right before your eyes and then you've got um, drop-down fields and all of that that you can play with. And for someone non-technical, it, you know, it really it is a showcase of how, uh, how powerful the um, software is. Yeah, a lot of those those things where we the team discovering how every, because we have a lot of moving parts together. And when I started, I started learning Solidity about the same time as everyone else on the same on the sense that I started learning Solidity so I could write the site the tutorials that are currently on the frontier page. So by learning that, I started to realize the power of that language, which I think Christian did a wonderful job. And every time I saw a new feature, I was trying, I, I immediately tried to think, look, how can we make this simpler? How can we show that to people? And so that's, that's a great example. So when, when, when Christian built the built Solidity, Solidity language, there is this, this concept of a constructor, constructor function, which is a function that is run once you deploy the contract to the network and only once. And that function has parameters. And I realized that that would be a great way to, to use the wallet. Like, you know, those, those, that children's play when you, you have a phrase and you just complete the phrase with a little word. And then when you review the, the, the word, there's a funny story. I bet Ad-libs, you yeah. play that. Adlibs, yes. Medlibs. So, Medlibs, that's the one. Medlib, yes. So, so we kind of try to use the constructor function 
to make a little game of Madlib. So you can, you can get a code from anywhere, like from a website, from anywhere, put it on the wallet, and then you just complete the Madlib where you say, look, here's how many minutes you have to voting. Here's how many coin supply you have. Here's the maximum amount of X. You press deploy, and even, even if you haven't ever seen a line of code, you, we, we build a contract for you. And we build a contract, and we'll build an interface for that contract, and it will, will help you use and see, re- read every variable that is on the interface, and will help you execute any contract that is on any, any function that is on the contract. So we are kind of building a little tiny system that you can use to, to you can use to use Ethereum even if you're not a developer. The cool thing about it um, for me was that it, it kind of, I understand what a contract is in theory, but to now see it writ large, you know, to see it in a, uh, to play around with them in the, in the wallet that you've built, it, it gives it a tangibility that I really haven't, uh, haven't experienced before. And, um, and it makes it real. Before this, it was just something that Nick Zabo wrote about, you know? Yeah, but that, that's a little bit of the point of the wallet. I, I, th- there's a term I, I like to say, which is we are, we are trying to build something that has no ceilings and an easy escalator in the sense that you, I want to take the user and I want to take the user on the ground floor, the most basic user possible, and then I want to guide him on each step. And every software, every time he uses a software, I want him to kind of learn a little bit more about what he's doing. So if his interest, he, he, can, he can grow as a user and go to the next step. So of course, the wallet's not for, for any user. It's not for your, your uh, a, a random guy that just wants to play. If like your grandma or your grandpa that just wants to play Candy Crush on their iPad. It's not, that's not the purpose of the wallet. The purpose of the wallet is to take some, someone that is a little bit geeky, just geeky enough for you to download the software out of the internet and try something. If you are that kind of person, I want you're geeky enough to use the wallet. So I want you to use the wallet and to, for you to understand what's the point of the system and understand each time how the system works. And it takes you to the, to the next level where I want you at some point to be able to build a contract. And then if you can build a contract, then maybe you can take a look at the code and you can modify a little bit if you want to. And then the, from the point that you're modifying, at some point, I want you to over, overgrow the wallet and decide, look, I think this is, this is nice and all, but I, I really want to do more with that. So where do I go with it? And from that point, I would love to show you, look, if you want to develop more, then you go to Mist, you go to Mix, you go to other, other, other things. So the purpose of the wallet is really to allow the user to, to grow into it as much as he wants. Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, like, it's probably the most educational experience I've had in a really long time is, um, is playing with this thing. Um, you know, but prior to this, like, I mean, what do you do? What was there to do if you weren't a hard out geek? Um, you know, what practical exercise was there to take this? Um, this is a really unique, uh, really unique kind of tool you've come up with here educational tool i mean just for for understanding these these concepts it's it's awesome yeah but in the end 
I think the purpose of the foundation is ed education is kind of the purpose of the foundation. The foundation is a non-profit organization whose purpose is to develop and to educate the public. And at some point in the future, I hope that it, it's quite... So right now we are seeing a lot of other private companies coming into the, into the field and helping develop other tools. And I think that's great. And I, I hope that they keep developing it. And if at some point they... They, if at some if at some point they take over development of other tools, maybe the future of the foundation might be just education, education and 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 evangelization of the platform. And I give presentations about Ethereum around and this all the software I've been we've been developing on our team. We are it's a little bit. A reflection of the talks that I gave and other people gave. So on on that on that particular structure. So we go in a talk and we try to show people something. Of look, I, I told you a, lot, a little bit of, about the whole ideas of Ethereum. I, and I I think you you get the idea. And now I want to show something practical. And then we think, how can we show them something practical? And that, and many points. I want to sh I want to share show them something practical, and then we don't have the software for that. I go back, we build the software, only so we can show other people that. So, for example, the one that has this contract feature, a lot of a lot of the reasons that we are building the contract execution was that I wanted to show that on DevCon. So, the first time I I told. For we have a we have a great developer. His name is Fabian Vogelsteller, and he he's built most of the code of the wallet. And we he's a great teammate because he's always disagreeing with me in a lot of things. And we had some very very useful fights on which which stuff to put in and which stuff to put out. And I think that's very healthy. And the the first moment I told him that I wanted to have a, a contract execution, he he thought that. Would, wouldn't make sense, but should, that should be a more advanced task for, for MIST, or if you wanted to execute a contract, you should probably write a web page for it. But I really wanted to be able to go in a presentation in DevCon and 20, in 20 minutes show everyone how Ethereum works, and I wanted to be able to show them in a, in a nice interface. So I kind of created the wallet to be able to show Ethereum to people. So I don't. So it's not a coincidence that you you have this feeling that is it's an education tool because that is the point of the of the wallet. So in the first tutorial, which is entitled uh, "These can both these can all be found on the official Ethereum blog," by the way, um, Ethereum in practice part two: How to build a better democracy in under a hundred lines of code. <laughs> um, so basically. And what I found was really compelling about this is you just copy and paste that code from the uh, from the uh, file linked to, and fill in the fields, and you create a uh, a series of tokens that you can call, say, theoretically your shares or um, or your voting stake for the following tutorial. Um, how how difficult was this to write? And I mean, is is this something? How difficult is this kind of system to modify? I think those are two very interesting but very different questions. I've been writing those tutorials for almost since I've been on, on Ethereum because 
those those tutorials are a little bit an extension of the work I did for the Frontier website, which is an extension of what I when I was trying to learn Solidity by myself. It took me a long time to to be able to write them, but I think they are very easy to modify. I I mean, of course, I'm 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 a developer. I'm I'm not a developer. I'm a designer. I I I my my I went to university for industrial design, so I'm not a developer and don't I wouldn't be trying to take. I mean, my code is probably not the most beautiful code ever, but I try to make the code very clear and I try to 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 make it that anyone can just read it and try and start understanding Ethereum and how that works. And I think one of the things that excites me most about Ethereum is really the possibility of governance. I see opportunities for better governance everywhere I look, in democracies, in governments, and even in Bitcoin itself, how much, how much it's suffering from the lack of governance. And I think one of the biggest, one of the most exciting things for me in Ethereum is really about how can we do governance in Ethereum? How can we help people manage money and how can we help people have a, have a better democracy? And I think a lot of those things are systems. We need better systems. We need, we need better interface for the, those systems. So that's why I always try to show, show people things that are are practical, like how to build a better government, how to build a better, your own country, how to build your own company, and how those are related. So that's why we had, I decided to go with, a, with, a, with a how to build your democracy. And how do you see, so, I mean, this is designed obviously as a, as kind of a way of distributing a voting stake that could also represent ownership stake in an organization. So let's have a look at how the following one, the third one, was actually really, um, really interesting. I'm disappointed that I haven't. I could probably start doing it right now, but I'll, <laughs> I'll wait till after this. Could you run us through what the, the, um, the third one, Ethereum and Practice Part 3, how to build your own transparent bank on the blockchain? Yes, exactly. So what I'm trying to also teach is the idea of code modularity. A lot of, I see many people when they try to build an Ethereum code, trying to build a single code that is very complicated, that does a lot of things. And I'm trying to, what I'm trying to show here is that instead, a great way to see Ethereum is a bunch of tiny accounts and tiny robots that you can communicate, they, they can communicate with each other and you can build on top of the next one using the the other one, and it, and, it, and it becomes really a fractal system. So you can, so you, if you want to build a, a big organization, don't try to build the whole organization. Just build a basic organization, and then and then you can point it to other accounts, and then you can switch those accounts into codes and etc. So how how does that tutorial goes? Is that first I want you to create a token. And I think it's a great way to start a tutorial because a token is just, you're in Ethereum, you understand what a cryptocurrency is. So you can understand what a new cryptocurrency that you own would be. So you create a cryptocurrency and you, you own 100% of, the, of that currency. And then the next step is that I use that currency as a voting stake. 
And I want to show you how, how you can use, just like I said, you can use one contract to control another. And then the next step is that I build another currency that is controlled by the first, by the, by the, second, by the second contract. The first contract is a currency. The second contract is, is, let's say, a shareholder meeting where everyone who owns the first currency can take decisions. And the third contract is another cryptocurrency that is controlled by this board. So it works a little bit in a, like a central bank in the sense that you can create more tokens or you can remove tokens from existence or you can freeze accounts or anything like that. You can do it if you have the board agreeing on, for doing that to a vote. So that's why I think it's interesting because in the end, we, we kind of go full circle because we now have a currency that you've built in the first place, but you have a new currency that is controlled by a contract, by a, by a DAO, which is controlled by another currency. And you can keep plugging other things. You can have that DAO, for example, control another DAO or be, a voting, be voting in a secondary DAO. And then you can use an, another DAO to own, to own another currency. And I think that's, that's the whole idea of many layers of Ethereum. It's not a hierarchical system. It's really a, an ecosystem. And the more we create around this ecosystem, the more we have, the more valuable the whole ecosystem is. Because once now you have that currency, you can create another DAO that can own a currency. Can, it can own, own, own gold or anything like that. So that's why we, we have these three connected contracts. Did I, I, I think I, I got a little bit confused in the, in the middle of the explanation. I hope I didn't... <laughs> I hope it was clear. No, that was very clear, actually. And I mean, the big thing about uh, the amazing thing I found about the second one, I recently covered uh, or, you know, did, did a series of interviews with folks from who submitted stuff to uh, the EtherCamp hackathon. Yeah. And um, I've, I've been listening to it. Oh, cool. Uh, one of them that I didn't publish uh, just because the audio was poor was the quadratic voting team. Mm-hmm. And my, at the end of the day, that was my favorite, you know, all things considered, that was my favorite project because it just had this awesome, uh, this awesome way of allowing people to buy additional votes at an exponentially increasing uh, rate. And it seemed like that this voting DAP that you are, uh, this voting application that you developed here was just perfect for um, that quadratic voting uh vote mechanism you know yeah i, th- I think quadratic I, I i hear a lot about quadratic voting and it seems that it's, it's a very hot topic and quadratic voting and liquid democracy or delegative democracy democracy those are all very interesting topics and i think every one of them can be can be true in Ethereum. and so the problem with quadratic voting is that you kind of have to be sure that everyone, every member is a, is a unique and it's not, you, you, have, you have to be sure that every member is unique. So you kind of, you, you need an identity system, which is back to the point on how the more contracts you have and the more things you have, the more valuable the ecosystem is. 
in the sense that quadratic, quadratic voting might be a great idea if we have a good identity system. And then if we have a good identity system, then we can start having other things because the quadratic voting allows other things. So that's, that's how the whole ecosystem feeds itself. It's that whole Turing test thing, and it's the, uh, the anti-bot kind of tools that, that we need. But really, it's weird. The, um, I don't know. I don't want to get too much. <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's, that's a funny thing. You say anti-bot. Look, I think we are not an anti-bot system. Actually, we are a very inclusive system. And Ethereum does not make any any distinction between a human and a bot. Humans and bots have the same rights inside the network. And I think that's, that's kind of beautiful because once you start thinking that, look, this thing here, it could be a single human, could be two humans, could be another organization, it could be a bot. You start, you have to take different decisions. And I think it's, it's, it's nice to, so we, we, it starts being like a, a joking, a joke as a civil rights joke where bots should have rights and should have voting rights. But I think it's not really. It's really, if you, you, you always, you cannot assume that every human is, it, it's hard. You, you always have to assume that you don't actually know who's behind that. And it could be a human, it could be an organization, it could be an organization representing 100 people, or it could be a bot. And you have to design around that. I suppose at the end of the, end of the day, any source of agency is, uh, is considered equal by the network, right? Exactly. Exactly. If, you, if you're an agent, we, we don't care if you're from if you're made from carbon or silicon. <laughs> um, what about, um, what was I thinking? Um, well, contracts themselves are bots, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Exactly, I think. I mean. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's, that's the point of it, because, so let's say that you create a, a DAO, okay? And you, you can create a DAO that instead of having voting shares, you can have members, I can directly, so I, we have, a, we have a, a DAO running that has just members where I am a member, Vitalik is a member, the, a lot of other guys are members and they just can vote. And right now we only have humans there, but I could perfectly add any account, including another DAO there, which would be interesting because the moment I do that, I'm kind of doing, so I'm kind of building a larger, a larger interface. So I could, for example, instead of choosing a human, I could choose uh, uh, an account that has its own way to select a representative. So we could have a big account where we have 100 people and everyone votes and they select one representative and that representative now controls that vote. And now that, that guy can vote on the other bigger DAO. So that's, that's how it becomes more fractal. That's my point. So now we could have a representative democracy without by just having, look, this one is a person, this one is a contract that represents a hundred person, and this one is just a bot that takes decisions automatically based on some market forces. So you could have all of them voting in the same place if you wanted. 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm always trying to think of failure cases of like these highly complex, uh, highly complex organizations built up of all these different sources of agency. But it's a bit of a um, it's a red herring to pursue something like that because that's, that's a little bit the point. You don't have to think about the organization as a whole. You have to think it in model. So, for example, in this particular way, we. So in this particular organization that I'm, I'm ex explaining, you could say, look, this is an organization that X, those members can vote and they can take decisions on that vote. And you can, you can just try to understand that from that point of view where, look, is, is there any way that those members, if I don't assume that they are not humans, I can just assume that look, if they can vote, is there a way that they, they, they can shoot the system? And if they can't, then that part is, is safe. And then you can go into more detailed parts. And then you can go, okay, let's, let's examine each of those members, those voting members. Let's see who, who, who here is a human and who here is a system. And if it's a system, let me try to understand that. So you are, you are, you're breaking the system in parts and you're either looking at the bigger picture and you can understand the bigger picture by just looking one contract is a bigger picture and then you can go into the smaller details yeah on each member yeah that's uh i haven't thought about this uh in the way that you're that you're talking about it at all alex it's uh that's a really cool um that's a really cool perspective but i, I suppose this is like the as your and you've been playing with this stuff for so long i suppose your understanding of it is far deeper than uh than many people's. Well, I I hope that every time I, I I I always try to share my understanding, and whenever I have a new insight, I just want everyone to see it. And the way I'm going out, do you need the house open or locked? No, it's fine. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, unlocked is good. Unlocked. Okay. Yeah, I'll be here the whole time. Yeah, you'll be here the whole time. Cheers. I'm actually recording in a van right now. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because I'm traveling, so I, I'm I'm living in a van, and um, where are you now? I'm just parked up outside a friend's house, and I've set up the van like a uh, like a studio. It's <laughs> um, cool. Where are you now? I was. I'm I'm in Wellington in New Zealand. Oh, that's that's wonderful. I was um I w I was actually speaking to some people recently, and I I thought it was a great idea to use the um use the cell phone network internet because that meant that I could be at the beach and do interviews, but it turns out there are all kinds of problems associated with that. So, yeah, it's so, <laughs> I'm at, yeah, so, I'm, yeah, I'm at so a friend's house it's now. It's early in the morning there. It's like 10 a.m. or something. Yeah, it is just about. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, hey, um, carry on. So, yes. So, uh, what I was just saying is that I, every time I have an insight, I just hope that I share that. And the way I do that is via software. I'm not a good so I, I, instead of writing articles or books or, or movies, I just try to do it using software to help other people see what I'm trying to, what, I, what I'm seeing in the potential of the network. So the last one, right? And this is uh, the last, uh, last tutorial was largely about, as you said, the modularity of code and the way that you could vote on a motion to enact a... Uh, a piece of code or to, to activate a piece of code. Yeah. And, and then what we did is that basically we, we made that 
that piece of code that you could vote would be mostly for another contract that could issue tokens or remove tokens from circulation. Making, in, the sound, in a sense, your... So that's why I'm telling it's make your own central bank, because that's what you have. You have a, lot, a bunch of shareholders voting either to put $1 million more in the market or either to freeze money or to remove money from circulation. And if everyone is trying to do their job, if everyone kind of do their job right, you could create a new currency that actually holds value and it's useful. It's, uh, but you, couldn't, you could do other things than just, than just add or remove tokens from circulation. There are all kinds of things, all kinds of little motions you, that could be put forward in, uh, of, or modular, uh, modular pieces of code, modular contracts that could be assembled. Exactly. So anything that you can do as a user, as a human in it, inside Ethereum, you can have now that, that contract do also. So anything that, so if you, if using Ethereum, you can, let's say, buy gold, or you can own a domain name, or you can buy, you can rent uh, a locker in Slocket. So everything that you can do in Ethereum as a human, your organization can also do if they vote on it. So that's, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful of the system which is that we, we, don't dis- we are not distinguishing humans from bots in that sense, in the sense that if you can do it, then that means that you can build an organization that does it. And it goes in either way. And you, you can have another organization that votes on this first, first organization, and it becomes an ecosystem. So as I was saying, I started this project by... I started in Ethereum because of Mist. I was I was was working in a, in another another startup, and I was spending a lot of my free time talking about Ethereum, looking, reading, just being a part of the community. And at some point, I downloaded Aleph Zero, and I thought, "Wow, this is an incredible piece of software, but this interface is crap, and I can probably do a better interface." And then I, I, I did an interface that I was quite proud of it, which is just ex- executing contracts and, and that's all. And I sent it to, to Gavin, I think. And, and then we started talking and, and he convinced me that I wasn't thinking far enough. And then he, we talked about his vision of the web, of, the, of the, what, what he calls Web3, which is mostly a browser where you can go access interfaces for contract where any contract that you want to access you can download an html interface for it that works that you you can download in a peer-to-peer fashion so the contracts and the interface can never be taken down so that's how i started designing this and we started talking about how this could be could really allow anyone to use Ethereum to make smart contracts and all those things we are talking that sounds complicated be as simple as creating a Facebook group or starting a Twitter account. And we started building Mist, and, but Mist was very far away from releasing. That was before Frontier even existed. 
and I, I was in a team and at some point we real, realized that one of the worst things you can do for software is build a software that you have no intention of releasing, releasing it soon. That's a terrible way to build a software because you, tend, you have a tendency of, of trying to build cool features, the things that are cool, the things that are, look well in a presentation for your boss, the things that you can kind of go in a presentation, show everyone and see, oh, look, there's, we, are, we are evolving. But you have no real incentive to go back and really scrub the, the little details and get them right and get small, small corners and small edges sanded. So what we decided was that instead of trying to build this giant thing that was missed, we are going to build one dApp. We are going to, we were going to build a single dApp and release that to kind of show people what Mist could do, one of the things that Mist could do. And the most obvious step was the wallet. So the wallet that you are playing it is a, is a local HTML file. That's just a website. It's just a website that you can, you're using and you're using Electron, which is just puts a, puts a Chrome around the website. So it looks like, uh, it, it feels like a native application and we can export it to, to multiple platforms. So that's how this wallet came to be. The wallet is actually a first release of Mist in the sense that, in the sense that it's Mist with a single application. So when you launch the wallet, when you have this, this loader, the, a little bit, you have a little window that is synchronizing on the blockchain, that is actually a Mist window. Then it opens, you see the wallet, which is just a single app. And then whenever you do anything, you have a confirmation window that's back to Mist. So that's kind of how Mist and the wallet are working. It's just that the wallet is just Mist without the browser and without tabs and without the option to access other apps. It's just that we are building a single app. And building the wallet was very, very useful because we found we learned a lot about how to build, how to build a dApp for Ethereum. And there were a lot of things that we didn't realize that could not, could not be done. And if we had focused on building Mist instead of building a dApp, we wouldn't have fixed it. And a lot of things went upstream, went back to the, to the Geth guys and went back to the guys that were building the, the C++ nodes and went back to Solidity. And I had to talk to everyone because whenever I found so me and Fabian, we were the, the we were basically dev developers, and we were trying to advocate for other dev developers, and we were coming up with features that we needed, just basic things that were were not available. So Miss trying to build the wallet really, really helped us getting Miss together and and figuring out all the pieces that we needed to have Mist out of the door. And as soon, so my next, so my next big job here is to finish the Homestead site, which is basically an, an update to the, to the Frontier website with new tutorials, with a new fresh interface, focusing more on teaching the wallet and all those tutorials that I wrote on the blog are also where I started writing them because I wanted 
them to go to the website. And as soon as that website is done, and as soon as Homestead is, we are going back to, to just developing Mist full-time, which is, which is what I really want to be doing. And the, this time was great because it, it allowed other, other, other tech other technologies to, to go around. So for example, Swarm, which is the incentive layer between the BitTorrent part where we download things and upload stuff. It wasn't, was not ready and it's probably going to be ready almost at the same time as Homestead. So I think that there will be a great convergence where we have all the tech ready about the same time that Homestead is released and then we'll, we'll start releasing beetles of myth, just like we've been releasing beetles of the wallet. Awesome. I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, I can't wait to show you. (laughs) Hey, cool. This has been really great, Alex. And um, I look forward to speaking with you in the future. I'm just about to talk to Juan from uh, from IPFS in uh, in a few minutes. I guess uh, I'll bid you adieu, but where can people find out more about you? And do you have any interesting links that people might want to uh, might want to follow? And and are you on Twitter? Can people find you on Twitter? I'm just AVSA on Twitter. I I don't post a lot there. I most retweet Ethereum things. And most of my work, I mean, everything I'm talking is either on Ethereum.org, the the main website, or it, and there will be a lot of new things coming in the the next few weeks and on you can probably find on the blog.union.org you can also see the tutorials we've been talking about look forward to speaking with the future well i hope i look forward to to, to do that too and thank you I, i'm really I, i'm a fan of your show and i've been listening to you all day to oh, thanks that's actually you know i've got a big grin ear to ear at the moment <laughs> <laughs> oh cheers alex it's been a real pleasure Thanks again, Alex. Show notes, credits, and links can be found at letstalkbitcoin.com and on Twitter, at EtherReview.